Man, it's been fun singing with you. Let's have a seat. Well, a, a couple things as, as we get started. First, uh, Sean and Miriam just snuck in, and uh, we, we love you guys uh, so much, and we've been, we've been very much in, in prayer uh, for you and your recovery, so we're glad, glad, to, glad to see you uh, with us uh, this morning. I also want to mention our, our dear sister Denise is going to be heading back home for the summer, um, so we'll be keeping you, keep you in prayer. She'll be heading back and then coming back around August, but this is her last Sunday uh, with us this morning. And I'd love to extend another invite to anybody who's interested and available tonight. The community groups that we have are just totally open and available. Um, we have, you actually, it's going to cost you money not to come because we have dinner together um, at, at 4 p.m. tonight. Talk with me. I'd love to have you be part of, of ours or Lars has one that's at 5. I'll give you all the information on that. Those are intended to be just places where we can have conversation and uh, just enjoy each other's company, get to know each other intergenerationally a little bit. So please talk to me. Just make time for that. It's a great uh, blessing uh, to be involved in that. So I'm going to be speaking today for the the final time. We've made the announcement uh, earlier in the month that our our church intends to uh, incorporate instrumental worship into our worship and our Sunday assembly uh, at times. So I want to talk a little bit more about that, but uh, it's really not enough to just talk about it in this form or setting. So please let me know. Um, let's have coffee. Let's have lunch. I've had several great conversations, and I'm a weird person. I actually enjoy conflict conversations. So I would love to hear your thoughts, hear your heart, hear what, what you're thinking about and what's going on. I've had several already that have been really great, and it's been fun to interact and, and talk through that a bit. Uh, our plan is that we would make this transition in around mid-July, so there's still more time to talk through this um, as we approach that time. So just let me know. Talk to me. Uh, look me up. We can talk with the elders and let us know. As Lars mentioned, Mandy and I are going to a wedding in Colorado, leaving on, on Wednesday, but I will be back. Don't worry. I'll be back after, after a week, and then I'd love to, to meet up with you um, at that point. As we begin, we've been talking through uh, three parts of this that we want to kind of say every single time we have this conversation. First, uh, as we make this transition, it's still our priority to encourage congregational involvement. At times, we will still sing a cappella. At times, uh, we will have just a small part of an instrumental accompaniment. Our goal is not to just like flip the lights on and I'm going to wear skinny jeans and there's going to be a light show. Like, don't worry. Um, I've already shown you I can't wear skinny jeans. I can't pull off that look. Our, our goal is to encourage congregation involvement. And that's going to be how we judge the success of our worship. We want to hear people's uh, voices singing. Secondly, we just believe this allows us to use the, uh, more of the gifts and talents that already exist in our church family. Third, we believe this is the best way to edify our church and reach those who don't know Jesus in this time and in this place. And if you have any questions about any of those things or anything in this transition, again, I would encourage you, just let me know and we can talk about it. And I will admit that this is hard. It's hard to make transitions. And as a minister, I would say, like, trust me, I'm the one who hates change more than you. Because you might not like it and you might have some questions about it or wonder, like, I don't know, is this the right thing? Trust me, I hear it from everybody. So, like, I'm the one who gets everybody's feedback, not just yours. So uh, I would love to, to talk with you about why I think this change matters, why I think it's important, but also why I believe it is really going to honor um, those who have gifted us with this space, those who have come before us. As I think about music, I couldn't help but think of what happened this week. My wife was playing for our uh, six-month-old daughter, Nora, uh, some music from an artist named Casper Baby Pants. 
who is uh, actually the lead singer of a, a group you might be familiar with called the Presidents of the United States of America. His name is Chris Bellow, and he thought that children's music was terrible, and so he decided to make his own. It actually is pretty nice. It's not the kind of music that just gets stuck in your head and makes you want to claw your eyes out after a while, so I'd actually recommend it if you're watching kids or are around kids. And as Mandy was playing this for Nora, I remembered playing it for Carter, and there's one song specifically called baby's little self that is just going to make you cry or make me cry if if I think about it uh, too much but right when Manny mentioned she's playing that I listened to that song and had a good good cry to myself um, because there's something that's very emotional about music right and there's music can can take us to emotional spaces and maybe there's a song the song you played on your wedding day or something that it just it transports you to a different time and space. And so we know that this is, is complicated. It gives you some questions, makes you wonder at times. But as I said, we still plan to honor our tradition. We plan to sing a cappella at times. We plan to still sing some of the songs that have touched us uh, forever as a community. And we want to continue uh, to, to honor those who have come before us. As we think about ourselves as a church, we're almost 100 years old at this point. The church was founded in 1924. And so as we think about what it looks like for us to, to reach people continuing moving forward, uh, we want to just ask the question, what would it look like for us to honor people in this time and this space? And I think that is the most honoring thing we can do for those who came before us. I spend time cleaning around the building every week. I also want to give a shout out to Barbara Bell, who does that as well. She's like my, my team duo out in that. She does a great job too. But as I would clean up around the building, I used to get very frustrated by it because it is a little frustrating to be like, come on, can you not throw your trash in a dumpster somewhere or something. But eventually I learned I had to just change my mindset on that and just realize that, yeah, it kind of stinks to maybe have to use an hour of my time every week cleaning up other people's trash. But dear Lord, I'm thankful that we have this space. And I'll clean up for an hour if that means I don't have to pay rent as a church planter somewhere. Like, well, praise God, like, we're, we're blessed with this space. It's, it's a place that is a deep honor to us. And it's because of the sacrifice of people uh, before us that, that we have this opportunity. And I think, personally, that the best way we could honor those people is to just be honest and say, how can we reach out in Los Angeles in 2018, in this time and in this place, to reach people in the name of Jesus? And as we think about our worship as, as being a part of that, of course, it's not the whole thing, but as just a, a part of it, I would just ask the question, you know, what is the point of worship anyway? That's a deep biblical question that I think you could answer that in several different ways, but I want to take one look at it this morning. One passage is in John chapter 12. Uh, uh, it's this unbelievable moment. Mary, she takes out a, a pint of pure nard, and that's a point. Let's all just gasp together. I'll read that again, and you gasp. A pint of pure nard. Uh, yeah, I, oh my goodness, wow. Uh, and a very expensive perfume. Uh, she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the sweet, sweet smell of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot didn't like what Mary did. He was one of Jesus' disciples. Later, he was going to hand Jesus over to his enemies. Judas said, why wasn't this perfume sold? Why wasn't this money given to poor people? It was worth a year's pay. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor. He said it because he was a thief. Judas was in charge of the money bag, and he used it to help himself to what was in it. So <laughs> this is like TMI, John. We kind of like, we get it. Judas is going to be bad eventually. But 
I got to be honest, though, as I read that story, I, I'm, I personally am like a very practical thinker. Um, I can call myself frugal. Mandy might call it something else. But um, as I think about uh, the, the money involved in this situation, like I have to admit, I'm on Team Judas here, which is an uncomfortable team to be on. But I go, yeah, yeah, Jesus, re- rebuke her. This is ridiculous. Why, why would you... Yeah, Jesus, you seem to be really about helping poor people. You seem to be really about, you know, using money to bless people. That seems to be like one of your things. And you're going to challenge us forever to think about how we use our money and how we use our possessions to bless other people. So yeah, Jesus, this is the time where you go, all right, time out. Yeah, like it was nice of you to do this, but next time you're thinking of doing this, you know, go and sell it and give it to poor people. But what this story reveals is that it's way easier, way easier to judge someone else's worship than it is to actually worship. It's way easier when you're maybe worshiping or you see somebody that you would say, oh, I don't know about that one. It's way easier for us to be judgmental about someone else's worship than it is for us to challenge our own hearts. And really what this story is saying is it is impossible for you to know how God will judge someone's worship. Because by the, the bottom line and the money on this, the, that scale, I mean, the people who were traveling with Jesus were generally pretty poor. In Luke, he has some sugar mamas who are helping him out. But um, they're generally pretty poor. And so they're wondering, you know, where's this next meal going to come from? Jesus, like, we gave up a lot to follow you. Like, what is it that we're doing here exactly? They would all be like, yeah, when are we going to get our next meal? Let's save this. By every other logical thing, you would say, yeah, that's the right thing to do. But what Jesus reveals here is that it's really hard to judge someone else's worship. In fact, it's impossible. The question that I think God would want us to ask as we think about our worship, as we think about what we offer God weekly, and of course that's not just like for an hour during the week, but it is a lifestyle and how we worship and honor God. The thing that I think God would want us to think about is a little bit deeper. This really is a theme that runs throughout scripture. In Exodus chapter 3 verses 7 and 8, as Moses, oh careful there, as Moses has has an encounter uh, with with a burning bush that just won't burn out, uh, God says this to him, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It's really beautiful that here as God basically says, you know, hey, I'm God. Like here, let me introduce myself to you and to, to my people. God says, I hear the cries of those who are hurting. I hear those who are in need. I'm aware that they're suffering. And if you're ever going through a season of suffering or difficulty, that might be what you're going through right now. This passage, I think, just tells you that God hears you. As you go through difficult seasons, as things are going on that are hard, God hears you. God hears what is going on. God knows what's happening. God hears those who are experiencing this hardship. And then God calls on God's people to be part of bringing the solution to that. God calls on people to continue to hear the cries of the oppressed, to continue to lift the burdens of those who are in need. In fact, you might say that's why you would say to 
Jesus, hey, wouldn't you want to teach Mary to like give to the poor? Because that's consistently what God is about and what God encourages people to think about. Think of the prophets who are constantly saying, you act like your religious activity is going to help you get out of this situation, but it's not just like showing up at the right time. It's a heart that blesses others. For example, in the book of Amos, the problem with the people is the prophet Amos speaks to them is that they are at the right functions. Like, religiously, they are killing it. They're showing up for the feasts. They're at the festivals. They're doing what God has told them to do. But their lives don't produce any justice. And at the end of the book, there's this powerful passage that was read at the royal wedding, if you got up like I did. No, I didn't get up uh, at that time, but Mandy told me to watch the sermon because it was a fantastic uh, sermon, and the preacher quoted this passage. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. Righteous living that isn't just like, oh, it's just a little part of me, like I go there for an hour of the week. Like, it just engulfs everything that I do. Like, this is what God desires of our worship. And the problem for the people in Amos' time is they aren't really connecting all of it. And there's social justice aspects of it. There's issues that are happening that they need to think about how they're living. And in fact, Amos, he says to a group of ladies, um, you cows of Bashan. The cows of Bashan were famous. They were like Kobe beef. They were like the really choice kind of of beef. And so they were famous not only as cattle but being fat cows. And I was reading a commentary once on that, and it said, like, this would have been very offensive to the woman who first heard this. I was like, that one, like, translates pretty well. I didn't need a commentary to say, like, just FYI, like, calling a lady a cow is not a good idea. That that was like, all right, I I got that part. And so Amos basically says to this group of people, I know that you show up at the right time on a Sunday morning, you show up to the right festivals, you're doing the feast correctly, but that doesn't really matter because it doesn't produce any justice in your life. You don't allow the things that you do for a certain time to affect anything else. And the way that I would argue that you kind of see consistent throughout the scriptures that you would quote-unquote think about and and understand the heart of a believer is eventually it's going to show up in that person's life. That they're going to be more justice-oriented, that they're going to be more loving, that they're going to continue to do things that would show love and mercy to those who need it. And as a church, I think we have progressed in that direction. We want to continue to do that. But when I first started in ministry here, I'm so thankful for the Essentia ministry that we are a part of that works with the shelter in Glendale. We've been part of that ministry for 12 years, and praise God for that. We serve uh, that meal the second Sunday of the month. The last five years, we've been working with Family Promise, an organization that houses homeless families in our building four times a year. And is the It's awesome to see whenever uh, we participate in that. Over the last three years, we've done collections primarily for Chris and Crystal Settlemeyer, who are uh, working in Nairobi, Kenya, um, in some of the poorest parts of Kenya. And we have raised for them primarily, but also for other organizations, over $100,000 in the last three years, 
showing the love of God to people who desperately need it. And so I'm thankful that we have been moving in that direction and we will continue to do that. That is what we want to do. We want our worship not to just be this thing that happens uh, for one hour and there's ways that we have progressed in that, but we want to continue to lean into that because that, I think, is the only way that we can know about the hearts that we have. The prophets are saying, don't just sit and lounge around. Eventually, your worship has to show up in your life. That is the true point of what we're trying to do. But part of that isn't just like reaching out to those who are in need and those who are, are downtrodden, but also leading, just leading us to reach out to people who are hurting. People who need a better understanding of God's love. People who need to desperately hear the message of Jesus. And you don't have to go to Nairobi to experience that. Because I think we all need a a better understanding of Jesus' ministry, and we want to try to be a church that reaches all that we can for Jesus. And that takes some honesty. It takes us thinking through, okay, what is most important? What is essential? What things might we be willing to say, you know, that is a tradition that we've had that we are willing to to be a little bit looser on so that we might continue to do the work of God in our time and in our place. So I grew up as like a, a Church of Christ kid from a very Church of Christ family. You may not know this, but I grew up at this church and um, I grew up, my, my mom's side of the family, there's nine cousins including me. And 15 years ago, uh, one of my cousins was getting married, and it was the scandal of the family because he was Catholic. And it wasn't just that he was Catholic. That wasn't the issue. It was that he was not a Church of Christ member. And it was a big scandal, and we didn't want to tell Grandma. Grandpa was, was unfortunately passed at that point, but we just didn't want to say to Grandma. We didn't want her to, to worry about it or find out about this. And again, the issue wasn't that he was Catholic. It was that he was not a Church of Christ member. And all nine of us grew up in the Churches of Christ. We were active in Churches of Christ. Six out of the nine of us went to Church of Christ colleges. So it's like, we got the pedigree, all right? We're, we're all over that. And that was the big drama, like, oh, like we can't, we can't tell, tell Grandma. And we, and we didn't. We somehow survived. I think that it was, she didn't really recognize it. Flash forward 15 years later, all of those of my cousins were part of Churches of Christ at that point. I am now the only one of the nine who still attended Church of Christ. And as I said a couple weeks ago when I talked about this issue, I I don't think it's only because there's not like a guitar up on the stage. I 100% agree with that. But I think oftentimes, churches of Christ can be known more about what we're against than what we're for. And we can fall into this trap that we just have to be honest isn't appealing. Not just for outsiders, but for Church of Christ people. Like I said, I'm the one of the nine. And just be honest, think about your own families. Think about your brothers. Think about your cousins. People who were raised in churches of Christ, are are they still active and participating. And again, I think it often is an issue of, of, of freedom and being able to just say, like, there's some things that we have to ask the question, like, what are we really going to be about? What's the hill that we're going to die on? Our world 
has changed. Our world continues to change at an extraordinary rate. When Bill Clinton assumed the presidency in 1993, the internet had 50 sites. In 1960, 70% of American women between the ages of 20 and 24 were married. By 2000, that number had dropped to 27%, and it's even lower now. Last year, one, one out of five people who got married met online. Everyone's allergic to bread now. <laughs> and the world is, is changing at a very fast rate. And not just because like, the world's changing like we have to change, like, but we have to just ask the question, what would it look like to be a missionary in this time and in this place? To think of ourselves as church planners, to think of, okay, how could we honor this? How could we continue to move forward? And we don't change for change's sake, but we have to just ask the question, what is actually essential? What is the most important things? What are the things that we would say, you know, we are are willing to to die uh, for these things, but we'd also be willing to be a little more open in some other ways? Because our world continues to change. And we want to honor our past. We want to be a, a place that honors those who came before us. I actually really would encourage you to come back next week. I got a chance to interview uh, Yvonne Smith about the history of this church, and it's going to be really awesome. She had some great stories to share. Uh, since I'm going to be gone next week, Lars will be uh, showing that and, and talking through that a little bit. It was really a lot of fun to be able to sit down with her and say, you know, tell us. She's been here since I think the 40s, so uh, she's been a part of this church forever. We went to the two previous sites where this church was over near the Americana and talked a little bit there. So we want to honor those people. We want to say thank you to those people, and I'm really excited for you guys to, to see that interview. She told me some, some stories that I had never um, even heard of before, but I think one of the ways we honor our past is by just asking, what does it look like to reach out in 2018? And I know that as we say that, the, the first question, I've had several conversations with people already, and it's always, is this going to be like my brother's church or my brother-in-law's church or my cousin's church where I go there and I can't hear the music and or I can't actually hear myself sing, I can't uh, participate? And the answer that we keep saying is no, that is not our intention. I love how um, the great American scholar Hank Hill says this on King of the Hill. Uh, he says, Uh, To Bobby, who is starting a Christian rock band, he says, Bobby, you're not making Christianity any better. You're only making rock and roll worse, which is... Is, is fair, um, and that is not our intention. Our, our, our goal is to just ask the question, what does it look like to reach people for Jesus in this time and in this place, and bring our heritage to that? And the thing that I want to say is, I know that some of you might think, well, this is just the Church of Christ thing. This is how the Church of Christ does this, but that is increasingly not true. Uh, churches across the nation have have made um, this this move and have done this, I think, really well and have found ways to, to move forward on it. I interviewed several of my friends who are, have participated uh, in this. There were 10 churches that I talked with who have made this change. Five of them were, were larger churches, but five of them were West Coast churches similar uh, to our size. And one of my friends said this about the change in their church. Something we've learned during this time, Churches of Christ generally survive off of Church of Christ people moving to their city. The problem is that group of people is drying up. Most churches of Christ have preached grace for the last 20 years. We no longer believe we're the only ones going to heaven. That is great. But 
there's now little to no brand loyalty. And this is true across denominations. But making this move has been beneficial for us because it's caused us to ask the question, how do we reach our city for Jesus? This is a hard question for any church to answer, but it's crucial that we ask it. What we've found is that people actually have a deep craving for what we offer, deep biblical preaching and instrumental worship that isn't overpowering the voices in the room. And this is something that consistently the people that I interviewed mentioned. All 10 of the churches that that I talked with said that there was a time of transition. It took a little bit of time to move through just to some of them six months, some of them about a year, but they've been able to reach the community like they never have before. All 10 churches that I talked with reported that they have had more baptisms since they have done this than at any time in their history. Eight out of the 10 churches have said that their diversity has also been um, raised, that there's been um, larger numbers of Hispanic and African-American people participating uh, in their worship services as well, that it's been a way to reach out to a broader spectrum of people um, diversity-wise as well. And of course, like, I'm not a snake oil salesman who can guarantee that. I'm just not like, hey, here we go, and we're going to make this happen. I can't guarantee that. That's God's work and our work collectively uh, together. But I am willing to take a risk in a direction that has had positive effects reaching the communities that these people and these churches have tried this move already in. I am willing to say that I would put some of the things that I would call that we would all collectively agree is, is traditional. I'm willing to say, let's try to not just let those traditions dominate. Like, how could we just reach people in this time and in this place? You could maybe sum up Jesus's ministry as he interacts with religious people. He's constantly putting people over traditions, right? They have these things that had developed like the laws around the law and they wanted to make sure they didn't break the law. So there was like five steps out from the law that they were very careful about observing and obeying. And Jesus just basically comes and says, all right, I'm going I'm to get right to the heart of the thing. And it isn't to be easier. It isn't to be softer. In fact, sometimes he raises the bar and says, hey, like be careful, not just about adultery. And I know you have this line of like, oh, well, I just don't want to uh, how, like, have a, a relationship sexually with that person. Okay, well, let's, st- let's start with lust. Let's get to the heart of the thing or something like anger. I know that you're thinking, well, at least I haven't murdered somebody, but let's get to your anger problem. Like, why do you yell at your kids? You know, like, let's, let's think about, like, the heart of the matter. So it's not that Jesus is just like, hey, everybody, let's all just hang out. Jesus is saying, I actually want to put people over traditions so lives can be transformed. So we can deal with your actual problem and not just like, well, at least I'm not that person. And that is the heart of why we would do this and why we would want to to be part of this moving forward. And I just hope if you're struggling with this and you're wondering, you have questions for me, that you'll reach out and chat. Again, I love having these conversations. It's a lot of fun. I think it helps us, even if we disagree, uh, to get to a point that we can find things that we do agree on. But I hope for all of us that if you're, you're questioning, you're wondering, or you're really excited about this, that moving forward, it will help us to be more unified and that we can show each other love, even in a diversity of opinions. I had a conversation with someone this week who shall remain, remain nameless, but this individual said that, I'm trying to even not even use gender, but this individual said that uh, he or she was 
struggling with uh, women being involved in our service. And I'm so thankful that this person, you know, shared that with me, and yet they're still participating in our worship. I think the church of the future is a church of diverse opinioned people coming together and loving each other. If there isn't a place, if the church isn't that place, then where's it going to be? Is it working in politics? Is it working on Facebook? If the church of the future isn't a place where we can gather together and love each other, and sometimes holding like, some firm things and saying, no, I'm, I'm really committed to this, but for the sake of my brother or sister, I'm going to lay this one down because my love for him or her trumps this. I think that is the church of the future. And ultimately, I think it's a church like that that's going to be appealing for the next hundred years and longer. The church has survived, and even though it's an imperfect thing, Jesus says it is truly his bride. May we consider how we can be involved in letting the love of Christ be the thing that moves through us, and may we try to hear the calls of distress, the issues in our city. God has done some amazing things through this church for 100 years, and I believe God can continue to do that. I love this church deeply, and I'm so thankful for the opportunity to to preach here and to to be your minister. And I, I hope and pray for all of us that even as there's some diversity of opinions on this, we'd be willing to find how we could love each other and love the people who need the message of God perhaps more than ever. I think that generally people are somewhat getting tired of the overproduced worship with an unbelievable light show where uh, the preacher's really hip, hopefully. I think people are getting a little tired of that, and they want like an authentic expression of God's love, an authentic expression of God's work in the world. And I think this will help us as we continue to strive uh, to do that. God is much bigger than our traditions. God is much bigger than the things that we sometimes can end up holding dear. And there's moments that I think we all just get to ask the question, okay, what is most essential? What's most important? And how do we reach people in this time and in this place? And for me, that's an exciting question to ask. And if we're, if we unfortunately lose, lose some people uh, over that and during this transition, I'm going to be very sorry uh, to see them go, but I'm going to be very excited to see on the other side the people who are deeply committed to reaching people in this time and in this place, who are willing to say, all right, you know, we are laying down some of these things so that we might connect to to God and connect people to the message of Jesus more than ever. So again, if you're interested in having a conversation, let me know. I'm available. I would love to to chat with you. But I hope that you know uh, that this move is done in love. It's done humbly. Those who are going to be part of this ministry moving forward um, are, are going to be doing it in love and in grace and hopefully to connect more people to Jesus and who Jesus is. So let me pray over us. 
God, I'm thankful for this church family. I'm thankful for the ways that uh, you continue to guide us. And even as there are diverse opinions, even in this room on this, we say thank, thank you for those who are a part of this conversation and who are wondering, Father, may we all just ask the question, how do we reach people in this time and in this place? Help us to be motivated by that. Help us to make that the priority that we all have, that we would reach those who are far from you because there are people in distress a few hundred feet from us right now. Our world seems to be more broken than ever at times. And may we care for those who desperately need your love. Father, it is a blessing to, to be your church and to be your people. Help us to continue to strive to reach those who need this message. In your son Jesus' name I pray. Amen.